Thanks, Lakyong, and the music team for leading us in service. Allow me to pray before we come and hear God's word. God, I want to thank you for this evening, for bringing each one of us here to come and praise you and worship you. So, Lord, we pray now as we quieten our hearts to hear your word. Help me, O Lord, to preach your word faithfully. And may you speak to each of our hearts and move our hearts to obedience and encourage us to keep walking in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The outline is in your bulletin, so if you want to follow, you can keep um, the outline in front of you. Uh, being a topical kind of uh, series, we're also going through a few passages, so we'll be referring to some of them. Uh, so you can also keep your Bible open uh, as, we, as we kind of go through those passages. My, my very first experience uh, with addiction uh, was really a couple of years ago where God placed a family in my path. And this family, their, their situation are rather complex. And so it, was, it wasn't just me journeying with them, but there was a few of us journeying with them. This family has a single mother, a very bright young son, but she had this addition problem. Just give me that. And she struggled and affected the way she parent her children or her child. But by God's grace, this son, and how they came to know this son, because he came to know the Lord, and he himself was very serious about his faith. But he, though loved his mom very, very much, struggled with her addiction. See, for this, for this woman, she used to live a very good life, well taken care of by a man, sadly wasn't her husband. However, this man faced some business trouble. And in her own words, he could no longer support her in her Thai Thai lifestyle. She has to downgrade from a house to a small rented apartment. And because of that, she has difficulty sleeping. She goes to the doctor and she was prescribed sleeping pills. The pills help her to sleep, also help her to escape from her problem. Very soon, she became very dependent or overly dependent on these sleeping pills and she spiraled down into addiction. And when, we, when she came to us, there was once I was just sitting with her. In her waking moment, she would lament. She would lament that she had been dealt the short straw. Her lament would lead her to be depressed, and at some point, to suicidal thoughts. And taking the sleeping pills gave her sleep and helped her to forget her pain and her lament. So her dosage increased to a point where the prescribed dosage was not enough to knock her out long enough to drown her sorrow. She needed more, and she had find money and other means to buy more sleeping pills illegally. And she spent a disproportionate amount of time sleeping and spent very little time caring for this son she loved. And because she could not work, there was also financial stress. And when she was sober, 
she will feel this tremendous sense of guilt that she wasn't able to look after and care for this son that she loved so dearly. She will try to tell herself, I need to stop, I need to stop. She will try and she will fail. And then she will feel more miserable and more desperate. And I remember her telling me one day, Joe, hopefully, tomorrow will be a better day. Her damage, her addiction has done much damage, not only to herself, but to both him, her, and her son. A couple of years back, about three years back, Ko Chuan principal came to myself and Adrin, and they're asking us whether can we journey alongside this boy who is suffering from toric syndrome. He was unable to concentrate in class because of the constant involuntary muscle tweaking and movement. His mother was at a loss. We managed to connect him up to a neurologist, and through some prescribed treatment, the involuntary movement was placed under control. He did eventually went back to school after a period of treatment. But while he was undergoing treatment, and was unable to go to school, and he was at home idling, he spent time gaming. And he felt that the gaming has actually helped him to control his muscle. He continued gaming after he went back to school, and it started to consume him. And one day he even told his mother that he's so good at it that he wanted to stop school and want to make gaming a living. He started to skip school, and he would game through the night. And one day, in desperation, her mom pulled the plug from the, from the modem. He was so angry, so angry that he threatened to kill her if she did not connect back the modem. She ran out of the house, fearing for her life. Paul Tripp, in his, in his book called Broken Down House, it's a good book to read, described this word in these words. The world you live in is a lot like that broken down house. Every single room has been dirtied and damaged by sin. Not one part of it shines with anything like the pure glory that was so evident when it was first made. Sin has left this world in a sorry condition. You see it everywhere you look. It's only Paul Tripp that says that. Paul, actually, in Romans chapter 1, verse 10 to 13, he quoted Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. He said that, as is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God, no, all have turned away, they have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. See, the Psalms were written about 600 years before Paul. God made that diagnosis that there is no one righteous. 600 years later to today, 2,000 over years later, the diagnosis remains the same. The human heart has not changed. We just get more sophisticated in our expression of sin. In the past, we need to, use to, need to stand at the corner with a knife in order to rob somebody. But now, you can do it at home. If you are clever enough, 
You can hack into somebody's account and you can siphon off millions of dollars. Our hearts, left to ourselves, will continue to deny God and doubt His love for us. We will continue to rebel against God's authority over our lives. And that leads me to the first, the first point, that the misplaced worship leads to addiction. And we look further in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. So the first set of reading is this. You have read that just now, Romans. And we know that one of the key things that repeat itself again and again is that they have chosen to turn away from God. Paul tells us that they knew God, but they neither glorify Him nor give thanks to Him. They exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. In verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worship created things rather than the Creator. But we've got to go all the way back, actually, to Exodus. If you remember the story of Exodus, if you're not familiar, you can read Exodus. But in Exodus, Moses has just led the Israelites out of Egypt. And then when they are saved on the other side of the Red Sea, Moses went up to the mountain to meet with the Lord. And while Moses was up in the mountain, the Israelites became restless. And what do they do in their restlessness? They actually burn, uh, crafted a golden calf. They gathered all the golds that they collected in Egypt, melted it, and then formed a golden calf. And they said, this is the God who I brought you out of Egypt. See, Israel has just what? Had just crossed the Red Sea on dry land without this golden calf. And they knew in their heart that this golden calf, this idol, did not rescue them. And they knew in their heart that this golden calf came about because each one of them contributed their gold, the jewelry that they have gathered from Egypt. Somebody melted, molded it into a calf. So they knew the origin of this golden calf. And yet what did they do? They suppressed the truth that God had rescued them, and they say, this calf, this golden calf, has rescued us. This is what Paul talked about, that we have chose to turn away from God the Creator and worship created things. So in our 21st century, I believe we continue to suppress God and His truth. How does that look like? We look at the intricate beauty of creation. How many of us go for the holidays and say, wow, so beautiful, so nice, isn't it? And how many actually do not acknowledge that God is the creator of this world? We are very quick to acknowledge great painters, architects, product designers, artists, because we appreciate the beauty they have created. Yeah, when we look at this world, or the world look at this world, with all its majesty, 
Well, with all its beauty and with all its colors, we begin to develop what? Theories, very sophisticated theories of how the world began and we chose to believe in them rather than in the God who tells us that He is the creator of it all. Do you know that in fact, the reason why you and I can be creative, can enjoy beauty, is because our God has created us to enjoy beauty and given us the ability to be creative. Let's look at our marriage. We deny the sacred marriage that God has ordained to be a marriage between a man and a woman. Instead, what we celebrate, we celebrate LGBTQ, we celebrate premarital sex, we celebrate pornography, and even adultery as sexual norm. And you hear people saying sometimes that this is actually the advancement of our liberated minds. It's estimated that 200,000 people, just in America alone, are addicted to porn. 2.3 2.3 billion out of the 7.3 billion in the world watches porn. And there's a family structure, isn't it? Sexuality at risk because we deny God and His truth. And in Singapore, there's this steady increase in the breaking down of family. And we are seeing more and more single parenthood. The chaplain of the Boys and Girls Brigade, I, I'll give an estimate that maybe about 20, 25% of my boys and girls will come from a single parent family. And we are not spare of this in, in the RPC as well. You put your ears to the ground as pastoral staff team, we have counseled many, counseled many who have broken with broken family. Family is meant, as God has ordained it, to be a loving place for godly growth and protection. Yet when we suppress God's truth as wisdom for life, we turn family into the greatest source of hurts amongst our children. But these, these, are just, these examples are just the tip of an iceberg. The suppressing of God's truth leads us to worship everything else Except God. And because we are created to worship, we will worship something. So in, in one of Tim Keller's book, he mentioned that we create many counterfeit gods. And if you really dig deeper, we created these counterfeit gods to reflect what is truly in your heart and my heart. They reflect our heart's desire. Just like the Israelites, they knew the source of the golden calf. But in, they chose to worship the calf as God and not God himself. They believe maybe that God has turned away from them because Moses was slow in coming down. Maybe Moses had a back knee. Maybe Moses wasn't, wasn't fit enough. But he was spending too long a time up in the mountain. And they concluded that God it has turned away from us. Let us come and make a God for ourselves. 
Our heart's desire shaped the object of our worship. And this desire is shaped by what we hear, what we see, and what we feel that make us feel good. So our desire actually becomes our God. And we worship it with all our hearts, our minds. These are the objects that we created. But the problem is, they will not be able to feel the emptiness that only God can feel. You can put as many as you want into that void. You will never, never satisfy. You will never, never feel the emptiness that only God and God alone can feel. So what do we do? We either spiral down to depression because we couldn't meet our heart's desire, or we continue to fear. And in our fear of the uncertainty of what lies before us, we become anxious. Or we spiral into this never-ending cycle of addiction to try to fill this emptiness. And this is the reason why as a church, we are dealing with the issue of mental wellness. We must not be ignorant about the pain and the brokenness that mental challenges or mental issues have brought around us. We must not be indifferent to the damage and the pain and the brokenness that brokenness brings. And definitely, we, must, we, don't, we did not feel inadequ- inadequate or handicapped because each one of us has been given the Holy Spirit. But it's true, none of us, not all of us are professionally trained. For me to, to, to go through one module of counselling course in my Bible college days doesn't make me a counsellor. But all of us, all of us can provide what? What I call first aid. All of us can be first aider to somebody wrestling with mental challenges. All of us can be signpost to signpost this person to Christ. See, when you and I walk out of 25 Adam Road and we see somebody injured by the side of the road, you don't just step away. You step up to help. And if you are not medically trained or you do not know first aid, then you can do the very least of preventing further harm, isn't it? By making sure that nobody, no PMD comes through and knock the person again. Of course, they are banned now on the, on the side, on the road, isn't it? But we can provide that first aid, even if we are not, or you don't feel confident enough to be hands-on. And each one of us playing our part can then journey with this person and to prayerfully restore him to the rightful worship again. So my understanding of addiction is this, that it's this disproportionate pursuit of a heart's desire to live out certain pleasure or as a form of escape. We can say addiction is sin in overdrive. The things that we desire has then turned into a need. It's no longer what I want, it's what I need. And the one I need is very powerful. If you ever try to buy something, or at least also are married, to tell your wife, I need this lah. Not because I want it, but I need it. That has changed the ball game altogether, isn't it? Yeah, your wife, okay, lah, if you need it, buy it lah. But we have turned our desire 
from what I want to what I need. And to paraphrase Paul Tripp, he says, if you turn to other objects of worship other than God, we either get discouraged very quickly and by God's grace wisely abandon those false hope. Or we ignore that warning and we go back again and again and in doing so, we begin to travel down the dangerous road towards addiction. Sex, power, alcohol, drugs, greed, you name it, might give us that short-term bust. We enjoy the flirting, the pleasure of sex. We could forget the trouble after a few drinks or a puff. We get high on a winning run, if addicted to gambling. The pleasure, the escape, the winning high lasts only that short moment. And when that wane off, by God's grace, we either wake up to our senses and say, hey, I need to stop this. Or, we have turned that desire into a need and say, I cannot live without this. I need it. Then therefore, I will go back quickly to get another shot, whatever that gives you that shot, and then before long, you'll be spending time energy and money in disproportionate portion on something that you need, you think you need, but couldn't satisfy you. And you are, conv you are convinced, one who is edited is convinced that he or she needs that. And so this picture shows us this early cycle of addiction. The heart's desire, just one more, and the body is briefly satisfied. You can stop there, or you can just continue on in that cycle again. And the cycle, if you continue on, this idolatrous heart wants more, and the physical desire needs more to be satisfied, and it demands more. And so what happened is, that whole cycle has then caught us in the addictive grip. A grip, a hole that you and I couldn't get out of. It's become uncontrollable, obsessive, and we, are just go, we just go deeper and deeper into it. So what do we do when we see somebody when we see ourselves going down that slippery slope of misplaced worship and indulge further into sin, God calls us to journey with them as a first aider, as a signpost, pointing them back to the rightful worship of God. And that's how John chapter 4 comes into the picture. Let's turn to John chapter 4, verse 4 to 26. See, Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman, I guess you're, as you're reading responsively, you ask, well, how does this got to do with addiction, isn't it? So Jesus encountered this Samaritan woman by the well, provide us with, I believe, helpful biblical principle to help us in our journey with our fellow brothers and sisters who are wrestling or struggling with addiction. See, the account begins with what? 
Jesus taking a very direct route to Galilee through Samaria. Why is it so? Because all wise Jews, strict Jews, would take a detour. But Jesus chose to cut through Samaria. As he was resting near the well, he got acquainted with a Samaritan woman who went to draw water in the middle of the day. And Jesus asked her, thirsty as he was, give me some water. But in that conversation, he ended up Jesus offering this woman living water, which this woman greatly desired. Although she could not fully understand the significance of this living water. And the story continued. And Jesus extended the offer of living water to who? To her husband. She said, come, bring your husband along so that he can enjoy this living water. To which she responded, I have no husband. Unknowing to her, Jesus knew about her. And Jesus spoke these words to her. Let us read together. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus continued to say, Yet a time is coming, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, but that the kind of worshipper that the Father seeks, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus exposed her past relationship decisions. All the decisions that she made to go from one man to another man, Jesus exposed that. It's true that she is not with her husband. She is with the six men. The account doesn't give us a sense or enough evidence to suggest whether is this woman suffering from any form of addiction. But clearly, this woman is yearning for something. Something that the first man, the second man, the third man, the fourth man, the fifth man, the sixth man, I don't know, I'm not sure if Jesus has not stopped her there. Will it continue on? until she tried to find that satisfaction which she will not be able to find. Instead of turning to God, she turned to man to find, to feel the emptiness. See, a stranger like Jesus would not have known about her relationships. And therefore, she was very quick to acknowledge Jesus as the prophet. But as quickly as she acknowledged Jesus as a prophet, my sense is this, that she quickly raised the issue of worship and says, you know, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but you say we must worship in Samaria. Half worship. God is not there. So you cannot blame me. Lah. I think that's, why he, that's where she's traveling. That's the reason why she says of this idea about worship. But Jesus took the opportunity and Jesus pointed her to the right direction. Oh, sorry. Jesus telling her that the worship is the worship of God. A worship not bound 
by geographical location. So it doesn't really matter where you worship. It's a relationship that is built on the relationship with Jesus. A worship that is built on the relationship with Jesus. A worship that will lead to the living water from God. Interestingly, isn't it? Very quickly, the account also records for us the woman's repentance. And how do we know? She put down her jar and immediately she head back to town to tell those who have marginalized her, those who have turned her away, that she has found the Christ. Mary or the, many of the Samaritans from that town believe in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when a Samaritan came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he, Jesus, stayed for two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know, what, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. A restored worship led this woman to salvation. But not just this woman, isn't it? It led this woman to go and testify that she has been saved. She has found the true God. She no longer suppressed God's truth. She surrendered to God. And that propelled her, compelled her to go back and tell the very people that may have ostracized her about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that's what I think can happen. When we hold somebody's hand who is wrestling with addiction and restore this person and allow God to restore this person so that they can be a child of God again. So we can draw a few helpful principles from this. Jesus made a very intentional trip to encounter this woman. He exposed her sin without judgment. He pointed her to the true and living God. And this restored worship led this woman to salvation and to many others. So for someone deep or steep in addiction, this account of the woman or Jesus encountering the woman should give us hope, isn't it? Jesus wants to expose our misplaced worship in our hearts, not to condemn, but to restore. Jesus sought out this woman to give her the living water that will truly satisfy her. So you and I too can only be satisfied by the living water that our Lord Jesus gives. For those who are suffering, who are wrestling, they may feel this sense of helplessness. But what we can offer to them is that they could be helpless, but in Christ, they are never hopeless. Yes, helpless. Helpless to break out of the addiction, but never, never hopeless if they can be restored to the rightful worship of God. And for those of us who are journeying with someone 
in the different stages of the addiction, this passage shows us a model of how God, how Christ, loved and journeyed with this woman. And that call for you and I, isn't it? When we see somebody going down that slippery slope of addiction or sin, we don't just stand around and do nothing. I want to encourage us to extend that hand and to say, brother, sister, let me journey with you. We want to intentionally seek out this person. And we want to gently, lovingly expose the sin because it is a sin. If that is not exposed, this person will not see the need for God. So we expose with the intention to restore. And then what, we do, what do we do as we do that, as in the process of that, we provide first aid. And the first aid could vary from all things like just be with the person, encouraging the person, doing a one-to-one Bible study with this person, or even seeking, bringing this person to seek professional help. And that's what we did with the mother. Few of us have to bring her physically to seek help. And we tell her, you go, you go and admit yourself. Don't worry about your son. We will take care of your son. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, he will be well taken care of. You go and get yourself clean. Practical help. We did nothing to we, we couldn't help her. Her addition has gone beyond our help. But we could practically look after her son so that she can seek professional help. And remember there was a conversation with Pastor Jeff. A very painful conversation. We were journeying with this brother who has came out of prison, who have continued to go back to his addictive nature. And one day I sat with Jeff and said, what, what should we do? Then we prayed a very hard prayer. We say, seriously, if you ask, if you ask us, the only place that he is safe, the only place that he can be free from addiction is back in prison. Hard prayer to pray, isn't it? But we know there is the only way, a chance for him to stay clean physically and prayerfully a chance for him to attend chapel and a chance for him to hear God's word and a chance for him to experience the living water that God and God only can provide. So when we struggle with our addiction, we have chosen to enslave ourselves to sin. And that leads us to the next passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. So when we struggle with sin, and sometimes the things that we engage upon was a way to cope, a way to escape. It could start out as something to experiment. It could be a peer pressure to conform. But ultimately, you ask yourself and myself that the issue is sin is actually a heart issue. That we have chosen 
to satisfy our sinful desire to worship self instead of God. But you and I sitting here today, I don't know, let's look around, I know quite a few of you, that we may not, we may not struggle in terms of addiction like the world will have deemed the serious form of addiction. What about some of our habits, our interests? They may cause us to spend disproportionate time, amount of time and energy to pursue at the expense of spending time with loved ones. How about screen time? The hours that you spend beaming in the name of relaxation. You know, after a long day work, I just want to relax. And you go back to your screen. You go back to the computer, you go back to the iPad, your phone. How many times do you find yourself saying, just one more game? And I will stop. I caught myself doing that a few times. Just one more game. Because I can't win, so I must win. And after all, I'm like, hey, this is not good. So there are occasions where I, 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 I like to play games. And I was playing games. And I realized, hey, it's taking too much of my time. And I have to just click delete. <laughs> no more. Enough. It consumed me for a day or two. And I just, if I don't delete it, you'll always be on my on my iPad, and I'll keep going back to it. So I thank God that I'm able, by God's grace, by God's enablement, to press the delete button. But not many of us can. We may know of people who can't. How do we come alongside them? Or do we allow ourselves to indulge in sexual images? With online TV subscription, it's so easy, isn't it? to just click and watch TV. Netflix, Apple Plus, HBO, whatever you call it. And the NC-16 and NC-18, for those who, the youth around us, it's not a license, hey, I'm now 16, I can watch. So this morning, my nephews wanted to watch, uh, what's that show? Agent of Shield. So I asked them, PG-13. But you're not 13 yet. But you're around what? PG, ma? Parent guidance, so we can watch. NC 16, NC 18, R21, PG 13. It's not a license for us that say, oh, I reached that age, I got parent around, so I can watch. Because sometimes, and often than not, we allow one image, two image, three image, nothing, nothing. But we actually long and yen for more images. A start of the slippery slope. You may say, ah, to anyone, artistic lah, artistic. But it is still a possibility for us to indulge in sexual sin. And Paul warns the church in Ephesus with these words. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of this air, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Transpasses, sin, following the prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience. Living out the passion of our flesh, 
carrying out the desire of body and mind. What does all this describe? It all describes us indulging in sin. It describes us putting our worship on what brings pleasure to us and not the worship of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, make us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and rise up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There is hope. This passage tells us that there is hope as we journey with somebody steep in addiction. There is hope for you and I. If you and I wake up to this awareness, wake up to this sense that you and I could possibly might be on the slippery slope of addiction. This passage tells us that our Lord Jesus, in all His mercy and love for us, can bring about a reversal. Just like in John 4, the woman, Jesus led the woman back to the rightful worship of God. Paul says that we were once going after the passion of the world. But now, but now we have been raised with Christ. And by the grace that he has, we have been saved. And this is not your doing or my doing, but it is the work of God. Our Lord Jesus has gone to the cross for us. His death has brought forgiveness. His resurrection has brought us hope. We have been given a new self. And therefore, we need to put off our old self so that we can put on a new self. And this putting off and putting on is solely the work of God through Christ. And it's for everyone. No one is excluded from this mercy, from this grace, from this love of God. No matter how steep you are in your addiction, or are you at the age of it? We all need Christ. And Paul ends this, his discourse telling us the purpose of his transformating work. He says in verse 10, you follow me to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has redeemed us, God has saved us for the good work. For a Samaritan woman, God used her to bring many to faith. She did not keep her newfound faith. She did not keep her restored worship quiet. She went forth and tell others. A brother shared about his gambling addiction with me once. He said in his secondary school days, he began to be addicted to gambling. Coming from a very poor family background, 
you buy 4D Toto in hope to get rich. And as a football fan, he will end up betting on football. And this continues, and it got worse after his dad passed on. He lost all his saving to gambling, and he began to steal from his family, began to lie to get more money to feed his gambling habits. He thought, just this one time, I will win it all back. And he will go. He will go to the casino on payday, and he will lose it all within an hour. And soon he was in debt. He has to commit crime to repay the loan. And in 2013, the law caught up with him. He was in prison for five weeks for theft. His poor mother got to sell her flat or their flat to pay off the debts. But even after he was released, the gambling addiction continued. And he was eventually arrested again after six months. And he was in prison a second time. He, he was able to go to chapel and he believed in God. But he was still steep in his addiction. And he even said one day, as he was out, he prayed this prayer. Dear God, help me to just win this one last time. Looking back, God did not make, let him win. But God transformed his life, his life that day. He was appalled that he even had the authenticity to pray that God will let him win one more time. The, accident, the, the incident led him to cry out to God, saying, help me, help me to get out of this addiction. I need you, God. Praise be to God, this brother has stayed clean since 2013. But his staying clean was, was not without struggle. During the 2018 World Cup, he sounded out to his DG prayer partner and said, keep me accountable and pray alongside me. Because the last time I fell was during the football season or the World Cup season. And by God's grace, to the accountability, to the DG mate coming alongside him, surrounding him with prayer, with accountability, he did not watch a single game. See, the good news is this. If we are an addict, or we are on the verge of addict, addiction is a sin that God can and will forgive. When the addict repent of sin and turn back to God. There is good news in it. It's not all hopeless. Helpless, yes, but not never hopeless. And he or she can put off the old self and put on a new self, leaving the past behind and living a fresh, redeemed life in Christ. And there is the hope that we hold out to whoever that we journey with. There is a hope that you want to tell yourself today, if you are wrestling with addiction, you stand in front of the mirror and you say this, addiction is a sin that God can and will forgive when I repent and turn back to God.
I can put off my old self and put on my new self, leaving the past behind and live a fresh and redeemed life in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I may not deem ourselves as addicts, but I want to tell us that we are all vulnerable to be addicted. Don't think that I'm, I'm a, I can't be addicted. We can. So spending excessive time on screen time in expense of other activity is not the good work that Christ has redeemed you and I for. By choosing to be bombarded with sexual images doesn't help us in our sexual purity. It may put us in a position where we may be led to addiction to pornography. So, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to take God's word seriously this evening. Ponder upon how much grace and immeasurable kindness and love our Lord Jesus has poured out upon you and upon me. Why choose the golden calf to be your God and my God when Jesus Jesus is our saviour and our redeemer. We either worship self or we worship God. It can't be both. And I pray that with God's help, you and I will humbly come before the Lord to seek his help, to ask him, Dear God, help me. Help me, Lord. I need you. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you for your word, your forgiveness, your grace, and your love. It's a song that we'll sing later, calling all sinners to come to the throne. You are calling us to come before you to enjoy the living water that only you and you can give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.